spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Welcome to Max Mike Movies. We're starting over. It'll be just like starting over. Oh, sorry. Stop that now. <laughs> it's a new series here on the podcast with the difference because nothing is more topical right now than James Bond. Ooh. Ma yeah. Max and I are going to take a look at all 23 movies made over a 57 hey, year. Hmm? What? No, 20 Mike, we're, we're, doing, we're just doing eight. Yes, but we're going to look at all 23 movies. Oh, oh. Let me finish. No. <laughs> Have I said fired lately? <laughs> I know, that's our little meme, fired. Uh, we're going to take a look at all 23 movies made over a 57-year period at this point and decide which ones you should watch and which to avoid. Stick to our choices. We are kings, ma, kings of the world. Seriously, in this new series, get them, Jimmy. We will choose four of what we think are the best and four that are, well, not the best that Bond has to offer on the silver screen. Though, I think they're white now. For the record, wait, well, they're not silver anymore. They haven't been for years. Hey, bit of trivia. All your movie screens have holes in them. I bet you didn't know that. It's true. That's uh, the sound game. Oh. For the record, we will not be including either Never Say Never Again or the 1960s version of Casino Royale, as these films are, well, the technical term is poopy. Or is it caca? Well, it would, it's not canon, really. They're part, they are eon films. It would take a scientist to explain it. And we're simply too mad. Too, too mad. A few notes about today and these movies. These are... Films made in, how do you put this, a different time when different sensibilities, white men's sensibilities, were the only thing that mattered. Get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich, woman. Yeah. Um, and other races generally were there as villains. Um, so we we be talking about through these various films whether these are things that one can overlook, one things that one should pay attention to, and we will admit through pretty much all of them, that they're in some ways a guilty pleasure. Or, in this, some cases, not so pleasurable. <laughs> well, you got to realize, you also got to remember, these movies are still coming out. It's not like the whole series is from the distant past. They've been nonstop for, as you said, was it 57 years? Yeah, I think 62 was when Dr. No came out. So, wow. yeah. Um, as always, we are two that speak as one. No, I am your roving reporter, Mike, and that. Over there is the secretary with Snap, Max Levine. Whatever you say, Mr. M. <laughs> First off, before we get any further, we have some business to take care of. The usual business, which is, if you're listening to us, you probably found us on either the Google or Apple podcast app. Make sure it's one of those. If it's not, you're stealing, I guess. I don't think anyone's pirating us to SoundCloud. Uh, yeah, it's hard to pirate something we give away. I, I guess, yeah. Feel free. But hey. Cooler. Yeah. Because that way we're we're uh, we're hacked, yeah, and yeah. Uh, leet, mixed and leet, and 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 we're pwned hacks and or not noobs. <laughs> I swear that hacksaw was a was a, a he-man villain, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, didn't he have like hacksaws for hands? Pro he should. I think there's another idea, a million dollar idea we gave away here on the Damn show. It. We've got a <sighs> million of anyway uh, podcast app. So there's that, but there's also our website, which is maxmikemovies.com, where you can find all of our past episodes and you can comment on them and you can even send us comments 
separately through our amazing email address, which is us at maxmikemovies.com. And hey, are you into that social media craze that's sweeping the nation like the Beatles <laughs> and Elvis combined? Um, America. Yeah, well, that's our job. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, both under Max Mike Movies. But today's movie. The show. From Russia with love. Up that right now. There's a reason they put that at the end. Well, yeah, which is weird. Like, we don't actually get to hear the theme song till the end credits. But That is kind of strange. Usually the theme is in the opening credits. Oh, yes. And that brings us to trivia for today's mm. movie, From Russia with Love. Uh, Robert Shaw. If you want to see some breadth in an actor, compare Robert Shaw's role in this to his role in Jaws. In fact, or the or the Sting or anything else. Steven Spielberg cast Shaw in Jaws because of the role in this movie. Oh, really? To me, Shaw was a very underappreciated actor. We didn't see nearly enough of him. Um, I, you know, I there, I didn't get to see too many movies with him in it, but I liked him in everything I saw him. This is the second of the Bond movies, and it's tied for second overall in popularity throughout the series. Lada Lenya, the iconic Rosa Klebb, was better known as a Tony Award-winning stage actress, singer, and dancer. She was married to playwright Kurt Vile. She is often cited as being the inspiration behind the song Mac the Knife of Vile's Three Penny Opera. There's also She started, of, I believe. Which she did. Uh, there's also lots more about Lada Lenya, but this is probably her best known role uh, as Rosa Klebb. And I'd say Rosa Klebb has shown up as a, I don't want to say joke, but as a parody in many, many other movies, TV shows, etc. As we often like to cite the budget in this film, 2 million, which in 1963, when it was being made, uh, was quite a bit, but the worldwide take 25. So this would be a hit. That's a big hit. (laughs) I think if there was any film today, any big budget film today that could make 12 times its original budget. (laughs) Yeah. I think Hollywood would actually close for a day. Um, This is Connery's favorite of his bond movies. Interestingly, it's Mm. also the favorite of other bond actors, Timothy Dalton and Daniel Craig. The knife shoe worn by Rosa Klebb and wielded by Rosa Klebb is actually based on a real KGB weapon. Yikes. Oh, wow. Ow. Stingy. Well, remember uh, back in, what was it, the 90s, there was that somebody was killed by, they think, a KGB agent by an umbrella. umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He he was poisoned with uh, polonium. Yeah, it was this tiny little pellet that was shoved into his leg from the point of an umbrella. Yeah. Um, Which I remember seeing that news story going, no, really? Holy crap. Yikes. Yeah, did they see a small, skinny Russian woman running away? (laughs) Uh, This was the last adaptation that author Ian Fleming was alive to see, and um, that might or might not be a good thing. I did not read many of the books. Max did. Um, This one is apparently closer than most, but that's not saying much. That's saying almost nothing, but yeah. Yeah. This is also supposedly the last movie that John F. Kennedy saw, and it was also based on his favorite book. So, which I did not know. No. I'm going to get the pronunciation of this is horribly wrong, but there you go. There you go. Pedro Armendariz. Don't know. Oh, 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 oh. Boy, did you get that wrong? You don't know how to say it either, do you? No, I do not. Okay. He plays Karimbe. He was terminally ill with cancer during the filming of this movie. Sadly, he was one of the cast of that notorious John Wayne film, The Conqueror. <laughs> Oh no! So he got died of he got that cancer from filming at what was it Los Alamos? Yeah, the missile testing site. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, he would commit suicide before the cancer could consume him only about a month after filming was completed. So oh. he knew, but he wanted to film the, the film because he wanted to provide for his family. So um, he, you can't tell. It doesn't look like a cancer victim to me. But mm-hmm. um, believe it or not, we have a recurring Bond girlfriend, pretty much the only one he'll ever have. The character of Sylvia was meant to show up uh, in uh, subsequent Bond films and be frustrated whenever he was called away on business. This running gag and role ended with this film. Ah, Ah. not exactly a running character if it's only in one movie. No, she was in Dr. No. Oh, she was in Dr. No. Yep, she she reprises her role from that film to this one, and then she goes away. Because as you know, this is a white men's fantasy, and we can't have those women hanging around us until we want one. (sighs) We'll talk about that, folks. Trust me. Uh, Ian Fleming not an instant fan of Connery being cast, changed his mind after seeing this movie and, in fact, added Scottish ancestry to the character in later novels because of him. Wow. Um, Robert Shaw, who comes off as being really tall, had to stand on a box as he was actually <laughs> four inches shorter than Connery. I would Oops. never have known that. No, I always, Robert Shaw has such physical presence. He does. He especially always when seems Lenya, huge. Especially when Lottie, I'm sorry, when Rosa Klebb punches him in the stomach. Mm. Author Ian Fleming was somewhat familiar with coding machines as he was part of a team that helped crack the notorious Enigma machine during World War II. The Lector was designed after this, or based on this. In the book, Bond actually succumbs to Rosa Klebb's knife shoe. Fleming was unhappy with the lack of success of the books up till that time, and then this book became a bestseller. So he pulled a Conan Doyle or Reichenbach Falls, take your pick. And... Lots, lots more. Trust me, there's tons of stuff. Because, of course, Bond sort of just makes trivia. Uh, do you know any bits of trivia that I have not covered here, Max? Uh, no, I think you got all the, the major points. I'm sure the stuff that's going to come up as we talk. And, hey, folks, if you know some great Bond trivia, feel free to email us about that. The plot. James Bond is at it again, having recently completed his explosive mission with Dr. No. Spectre is also at it again, this time trying to set a trap for our Jimmy using a Russian decoding machine known as a Lector as bait. Spectre wants the machine, and it wants revenge for Bond's killing of their agent, Dr. No, so they set up a nefarious scheme wherein they will set the British and Russians against each other while they sneak off with the Lector. Sneak, 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 sneak. (laughs) It's a great plan, and it should have worked if not for those meddling kids. And their dog. Yeah, their dog, Toto? I don't know. Uh, Or, you know, James Bond. The best laid plans of Spectre agents are twisted and skewed when Bond messes with the timetable and makes off with a machine and a Russian agent who thinks she's doing a service for Mother Russia uh, on their own. Spectre isn't out of the game, though. They replace one of Bond's contacts with their own agent, and soon he seems to be their only way out of Eastern Europe with the machine. The Russian agent is drugged. Bond is bushwhacked, but the tables turn again, and James and Titania, the Russian agent, are off on a long chase back to England on their own. Spectre makes one last desperate try, but in the end, James and Tatiana, Lecter, still in tow, are victorious, leaving Spectre to slink away, never to be seen or heard from again. Or is it? So you're saying they keep the Lecter from Spectre? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, there is one sort of trivial thing I thought was interesting. This is, I th- isn't our, this our first appearance of Blofeld? Yes, it is. Even though we never see him. 
We no. just hear his voice and we see him with his traditional white cat. I was going to say, I think it's also the, the first appearance of Mad Cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Ma- come on. Mad Cat was a tiger stripe. Uh, and then was- it was Dr. Claw, but there you go. Yeah. I'll yeah. get you Bond next time. And interestingly, uh, it was supposed to originally be the Russians, but they didn't want to do that because of the Cold War. So they invented Spectre. Yeah. In the novel, it is just the Russians. He's just going up against Smirsch. Sort of the big bad in the books, which literally, according to the books, I don't know Russian, so I don't know if this is true. Smirsch actually translates as death to spies. That's uh, Smirch Spionem. That actually shows up in um, uh, Living Daylights. Oh, okay. Yes, Smirch Spionem means death to spies. I remember in the credits of this movie, Blofeld, it just says question mark. It was actually a guy named Anthony Dawson. Well, that's because it was a, hand, a pair of hands, really. Yeah, but he's appeared in two other Bond movies. As hands? <laughs> no, in, uh, he's in Dr. No as Professor Dent. Not Arthur Dent, but... Dent Arthur Dent? <laughs> yep. And he actually plays Blofeld again in Thunderball. He's the only one who has played Blofeld more than once. You mean he strikes like Thunderball? Oh, sorry, sorry. His, it's not his voice, though. I know. The voice, the voice is somebody named Eric Pullman. Yeah, we get uh, some very interesting choices. This is still trivia, but we get some very interesting choices for Blofeld over the years, anywhere from Donald Pleasance to Charles Gray, who, and, and if forget, you've ever seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's hard to think of him quite the same way ever again. Especially. Yeah, but he did a pretty good job. But the one that always got me was in our the famous one-off Bond, George Lazenby, on her magic oh, secret service. Telly Savalas. Telly Savalas. <laughs> Yeah. Who loves you, baby? <laughs> Who loves you, Bondy? Yeah. So, but hey, let's get to this film. Mm. The lowdown. So, I'm going to go out right in the front of this and say that this is a film that is how's what's the word I want? Not timed, but it's uh, it's cadence, shall we say, is from a different age. Yeah, it's not as fast paced as say any of the Daniel Craig Bonds. Or Pierce Brosnan. Or even the Roger Moores. Yeah, even those are a little faster paced. This is more leisurely. I think it works. I I think it not only works, but it's much more of a spy movie. It is very much not a things blow up movie. Yes, things blow. There are are a couple of gunfights and fistfights, but it's also a lot of sneaking around and actually, you know, what's the word? Spying on people, (laughs) you know. Although it's kind of hard when everybody, everybody knows who James Bond is. It's something I have as a problem with the entire series is that everywhere he goes, it's like, oh, it's Bond. (laughs) I always wonder, I remember in Diamonds Are Forever when he's going around calling himself Peter Franks. It's like, really? You're not, you don't, you don't fool anyone, you know? Yeah. And then he meets up, then we're going to another film, but then he meets up with Tiffany Case. Ah, And even she knows who Bond is. And she's just a third rate diamond smuggler. And quite honestly, I don't even believe she knows how to do her job, but whatever. So kind of hard to picture a a universally famous secret agent. That's kind of a contradiction in terms. Yeah. But this film, we're still early in the series. And most of the people we deal with are people in the spy network, so it more or less works. And to be fair, Tatiana uh, Romanova, who is the Russian agent that Rosa Klebb, who has switched to uh, Spectre at this point, unbeknownst to Tatiana Romanova, chooses to be the Russian dupe in this case. And she doesn't know who James Bond is, but she likes his picture. That's Um, Yeah, the idea with her is that she falls in love with his picture. Right. 
Or and, that's what that's you know, the cover story. That's the cover story. And, you know, it is Sean Connery. So, okay. Who, and Sean Connery had been a bodybuilder. He had competed in, I think, Mr. Universe. Uh, oh. I don't know if he ever won, but he did compete. So He uh, doesn't look that ripped. Well, you have to remember, back then, this is before, you know, things got out of hand. Um, even Arnold, if you look at Arnold back in Pumping Iron, and you look at the guys today, because Arnold never used drugs. It was a big thing with him. And... Um, Drugs, um, they, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have that overinflated look that a lot of them do now. No, and so it was, he wasn't trying to look gigantic. He was trying to look very well-formed, which, if you've seen any pictures of Sean Connery from the 50s when he was doing that, was very well-formed. <laughs> uh, that's just my opinion, of course, but. Mm. This film also does something that is almost impossible to do anymore, and it presents the world and world travel as something still really exotic and cool. Mm. Um, this is back when, you know, pretty much only rich people flew. And I'm not saying that I want to go back to a time period where only rich people get to fly, but as Patton Oswald put it, the men were in suits and the women had plainly washed recent, recently, and yeah, yeah it, everyone it, it, was a spy. Yeah, it, it used to be more of an event. People would dress up to go on a plane. Yeah. And so and people used to dress up, period. Yeah. Yep. But I we, got I got got my who farted t-shirt. I did. <laughs> my bag of Papa McCorn. Yeah. So it's it's the the world is still large. It's still exotic. And this film, unlike a lot of films of its time, was actually shot mostly on location. They didn't use much of any, there's a couple of instances, but they didn't use much of any um, rear screen projection to do this. And it makes a difference. It's like when Peter Jackson would go on to film Lord of the Rings, he's like, no, 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 I don't want green screen studios. I want people outside. No, and it has a great look. I mean, we're filmed, it's filmed in like Istanbul yep. and, and in and, <clears throat> Scotland. <laughs> yeah, well, Scotland. I think it's all, it's filmed in someplace I've never heard. Uh, what is it? Sultahan, I can't even pronounce it, but I think part of it is filmed in Yugoslavia. Yeah, I'm not sure, but that that's the Orient Express too. They're on yeah, the Orient Express. One, yeah, it was a later, apparently a later route where it actually went farther to the south. They had, so they had to change the stations that were in the book to the ones that they actually go through. But it makes train travel look really cool. It's like I want a compartment like that. Oh my god, that like I've been in worse hotel rooms than that. Seriously. It's so. it's a great the, the the scenery is part of the is part of the story. You look around and things look exotic. You get the whole exotic. You know, that was what was so cool about being a double o a double o agent was yeah. went to exotic places. You met strange and unusual people. Like, I mean, Ali Karim Bey is such a cool character. This guy's like a former circus strongman who is now like head of intelligence for uh, Istanbul. Right. And you totally believe it. And when he does something that's really smart, he has a lot of children and he puts them in their jobs. So it's <laughs> like, yes, my, my network is a lot of my own relatives. So, you know, he knows what's going on. And there's actually a really cool relationship between his side and the Russian side. Cause it's like, yeah, we're not going to pretend that we're not watching each other. So, you know, they probably even know that the people that are tailing them by sight, it's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's Fred. He follows me on Tuesdays and Thursdays. When, when Bond is be Bond's being driven by one of his sons, and they're being followed. The, the guy doesn't even have to look in the in the rearview mirror. He knows what the license plate is. Yeah, which car it is. 
Which actually makes it even more interesting because it's like, well, the things that they do get away with, they really have to work at it. Yeah. So Bay ends up somehow, he says, uh, I forget what it was. They, they caused some sort of, uh, I think there was an earthquake. And he managed to sneak in and get a periscope installed in the one of the offices of the Russian consulate. And he has no sound, but he can at least see what's going on. This is another one of those things. That's, this is the days way before anything like, you know, cell phones or, yeah. you know, calculators. So they did the best they could. And it makes the whole job a lot harder and quite honestly, a lot more interesting. That's the other thing about this movie that is very, it's different from so many of the others, except Dr. No. The gadgets are not crazy sci-fi things. There's no laser wristwatches. There's no invisible flying swimming cars no there's no there isn't even the groovy aston martin we don't get that until goldfinger and what you know the biggest the coolest thing in this is a neat briefcase that has some stuff hidden in it yeah all of which is completely believable yep and I, you know, I think some of it, you know, if you looked at the suitcases, like that's kind of thin to have a knife and ammunition and cougarans in it. But uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Cougarans was 50 gold sovereigns. Oh, that's right. Which I looked it up and it's something like each suitcase had basically today's worth of about $5,000. Apparently the cougaran or the, sorry, the sovereign uh, said one pound on it, but even then the gold was worth a lot more than a pound. Yeah. Cause it really was solid gold. Yeah, so it's like, this is a great way to get yourself out of trouble with this large string of cash that's well hidden. So, but again, you know, compared to, and I think this Bond films actually did this to themselves, they kept upping their own ante. It's like, well, if we did this, we have to do this, because the next film, we get the Aston Martin, we get it in Goldfinger. And at that point, all bets are off. So this is sort of the last Bond film, which actually feels like it could be a spy film, except that, you know, everyone knows who he is. That being said, we still have some issues here. So the film opens with a really interesting teaser, trying to make the audience believe that James Bond has been killed, which of course is interesting knowing that in the book he actually dies. But then they pull the old, um, you know, it's Mr. Smithers or uh, Mission Impossible. Old man Jenkins. Yeah, they pull a a late, they pull basically the greatest made latex mask in history off of some schlub. Yeah. It turns out it's all a training exercise for Robert Shaw's character, Red Grant. Yeah. You know, what's interesting I found out is that uh, the guy, they take the mask off. That's not even his real mustache. They needed something to the, because they were afraid that the audience didn't know Sean Connery's face well enough. Uh, and they might be confused. So they're like, well, if we put a mustache on the guy, they'll know it's not Bond because Bond never wears a mustache. Because mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, does Bond ever wear? D- yeah, that's right. Uh, Roger Moore dresses up as a clown once. <laughs> well, also, and I, I hesitate to bring this up, but in You Only Live Twice, they make him Japanese. Oh, yeah. That's basically <laughs> with some tape in the corner of his eyes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Spock eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. and as I mentioned in the... Uh, in the opening, uh, there, there's some, um, there's a little tiny hidden bits of sexism. <laughs> Again, this is ni- it's a 1964 spy movie. There's a tremendous, the, the, it starts in the opening in Dr- credits. It starts. It's true in Dr. No, it's true for all of them up until a, probably about the two thousands. And even still, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to argue even still up through the Daniel Craig's, I'd yeah. say the sexism is still pretty much there. It's, it's, they're trying to work with it, but like the best they were doing with Daniel Craig is, well, instead of going through a bunch of women in one film, he's going to stick with one per film. Okay. Yeah, but that happens in this one too. I mean, really, this is one of the only ones well, except 
remember the girlfriend in the beginning, he doesn't go through this endless string of women. He ends up with Tatiana and stays with her through the whole movie. No, he only goes through. Oh, that's right, except for the two gypsy women. Well, yeah, well, they throw him. We'll get to the gypsy camp in just a moment. But that, hey, how about that sexy opening, huh? There is a... uh, there's a trademark of Bond, and it's like they're just projecting titles on barely clad women. The women will become less clad as the films go on. Yes, and uh, the, the symbolism gets less and less, uh, if you can use the word subtle, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. – um, I, I, so yeah. Max and I grew up with these films. Back in the day, uh, I was too young to see any of these films in the theater. I think the first film I was able to see in a theater was Spy Who Loved Me in 1977, I think it was. Um, cause that point I was 12 and I could actually do, otherwise we had to watch these on TV and they would show up on Sunday night at the movies like two or three times a year. So we would see whatever films had been made up to that time and you know, parts would be edited out. They didn't edit out the credits though. Those were, those were yeah. still out on TV. Hey, not me. I didn't see, I didn't see any of them on TV for years. I saw them at the Harvard square theater where they would have double and triple bond features. Well, yeah, back in high school for me, that's where I would see them there too. And it was nice to see them on a big screen, but yeah. So there's this sexism thing. Women in bond films are often treated as merely sex objects you're saying that like that's a revelation everyone no, knows that bond no but i want to acknowledge it in case because these are kind of a guilty pleasure there's some bond films that i'm watching it's like i don't know if i should watch these i feel really bad because they're just it's such a white man's fantasy um when you get people of other races rarely um they often have minor roles supporting roles they're often villains um, in this case, they actually treat like uh, a bay. They treat for perfectly fine. They, he's he's an equal to Bond. He's actually a really cool character. He's meant to be Turkish. Uh, I don't think he is. Um, I think he's Spanish. Even Tatiana, you know, she's supposed to be, you know, this Russian agent. She's never portrayed as evil. She's she's never portrayed as particularly bright. Well, except she is, uh, you know, a fairly high level administrator in. Uh, in Russian intelligence. I mean, okay, she, really, she's a glorified secretary, but she's also a code breaker. She works with the lector. That's the whole idea. She knows how this code machine works. Yeah, but we're not going to get an equal to Bond for quite some time. No, she's um, she, you know, she's there. He's there doing the man work, and she's there to look pretty and wear fabulous clothes. Yeah, and, you know, occasionally take some of them off. Um, so for those who haven't watched the older Bond films, they're only on the newer ones, and you're, you're wondering why we're, we're putting this film up on a pedestal, because this is one of the ones that we're choosing as one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. We are very well aware of the fact that it was made in its time and that it's, the only yeah. people who cared were white guys. It's a product of its time. You, have, it's, you can still enjoy the movie, but you got to acknowledge that. Yeah. And because, as Max pointed out, we get to places like the Gypsy Camp, where two women are fighting over one man, and of course they have to do it in a cat fight because that's what you do in mm-hmm. gypsy camp. <laughs> but that means it's sexy time. And yeah, so then later on, Bond, who and this is this is actually almost slightly approaching the exit for being 
slightly woke. Bond says when he saves the life of, of the gypsy leader, he says, hey, can I stop the fight? And you don't get the idea that he actually is doing it because he wants to take one of them for, to bed. You actually think it's like, this is kind of brutal. Can we not do this? Well, the, and the, the gypsy chieftain says to him, you know, your, your heart is too soft to be a true gypsy. Right. So you, there's almost this attempt at, at Bond being less of a, a misogynistic figure. But then, of course, one of the women shows up and we get the idea he sleeps with her. So, you know, I thought he slept with both of them. I thought they were trying to convince both convince him who was. Uh, who was yeah. And, and that's what it's like. OK, so he stops the fight and now they can both compete over him. OK. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's one of the moments of the film. It's like, you know, oh, good. The misogyny parade is here. Great. I'm going to clap and. Wave my pom poms. Mm-hmm. Um, I also and was surprised this film opens with a big, exciting action. No, it actually, after we get the little spy thing, it starts with a chess match. Yep. And I actually kind of like that because a number of different things. At that point in time, chess, the World Chess Championships were actually a big deal. Yeah. And it's exotic, but it also shows this film isn't about blowing stuff up. It's literally about sort of like playing a game of chess. Trying to outthink the opponent, yeah. Yeah, they have Kronstein, which is their their specter agent who is also a chess master and who trounces the other guy in the opening of the film. But he has laid out what is arguably a pretty good plan for pitting the British and the Russians against each other and also getting back and getting Bond to do their work for them. Yeah, it's a very shrewd plan. As opposed to simply, you know, and then we will a- we will ask the world for one million dollars. I'm um, um, Doctor Evil. <clears throat> yes. What? What? Yes. No, that is. It makes it seem much more of an intellectual exercise. Yeah. Later on, he'll just shoot people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and things get a little goofier. This is. I don't remember. Is Q in Doctor No? He is not. This is the first appearance of Q, and he's much more businesslike. He's way less snarky than he becomes. Admittedly, he's a lot more fun when you know Desmond Llewellyn gets to have much more of a good time as they go along. There's the less of the well, pay attention, Dablo Seven. It's just here's the briefcase. Here's where you do this, 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 and this. I'll treat it with my usual disrespect. Yes, I know, Dablo Seven. <laughs> Yep, yep. There's no no double entendres or bad puns at Q's expense. That comes later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The puns. Yeah. Yes, she's a cunning linguist. We get it. We get it. Uh, yeah. And here's the other thing too: is I want to say, and I, Max, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I figured you'd do it ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> this is pretty much. Oh! The <laughs> there we go. Yeah. This is pretty much the beginning of the film franchise as a thing. Hmm. I would. I guess that's true. 1962. I mean, they made Doctor No, and it was a huge hit. And they're like, "Oh, we got to remember some of those Western franchises. There were all those Roy Rogers movies, and they were always the same character. Uh, You can't really count the serials because those were shorts." Well, they were also meant to be told in chapters to make you to come back, and but it was all shot at once as one thing. But yeah. this is kind of like, you know, we won't see this again really on this scale until we hit the 70s. Mm. And then we'll, that's all we see, right? You know, this 
the idea of Star Wars being a franchise. Star Trek is a franchise. Um, eventually, Marvel movies will be franchises because the idea is you're invested in these characters and you want to see more of what they do. And this film starts a tradition that would last up through Octopussy, where... <laughs> At the end of the film, they were so sure of their success, they don't not only tell you that there would be another Bond film, but they'll tell you what the name of the film is. So they know what film that they're going to, um, quote, adapt, end quote, from one of the novels. Or, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think I just thought of an older one. Charlie Chan. That's fair. And Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yes, although it wasn't always, I mean, no, that was, that's right. The Basil Rathbone ones, there were a ton of those. Yeah, but it's it's still not quite the the scope. This was a gigantic worldwide success um, because let's face it, there's white guys everywhere. 12 times its budget. It was a worldwide thing. Um, I'm sure that smaller scale. And also this is one of the, I think it's one of the rare ones where the character was played by different people. I mean, like they've done lots of Sherlock Holmes, but that series was Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. And when they stopped, it became something else. And, I want to say Warner Oland was was one of the people who played Charlie Chan, but there was somebody else. Yeah, um, and there might have been a couple of the other ones, but those are kind of footnotes. Like they were popular in their time to some extent, but I don't think you would have gone to like Paris to watch them. You know what I, I mean? Also, I think this has lasted a lot longer. <laughs> Fifty-seven years. Yeah, yeah, kind of a lot. There is a a little bit of undercurrent. We get a little bit of representation here. It's not good, but we get it. There's there's that little bit of lesbianism going on with Rosa Klebb. It's, in the book, it's re it's much more explicit. Well, here's because I didn't read the book. In the book, is it as um, meant to be as creepy and or potentially evil as it is here? I don't know about evil, but it's actually kind of creepier. Oh, because you know this Ian Fleming. It's the homophobia is pretty clear. Yeah, in, in the book, and so it's made to made out to be a lot grosser. Yeah. But I'm sure for the 1960s audiences, seeing Rosa Klebb running her finger along Tatiana's shoulder Mm -hmm. was more than creepy enough. And of course, it's being done by the evil character who wears thick glasses and is short, and she's doing it to the nice blonde white character. And I'm I'm sure that it was being used in that way. So representation, but not good. Not positive, no. No. I don't think you get a lot of that in... uh in the Bond movies. Do you remember the first time you saw this film? Oh boy. I know, right? Uh, not honestly, no. I can't, I've seen this movie so many times. I can't really separate out when the first one was. I'm sure that I saw it when I was a kid on TV and I guarantee it's like, oh boy, a Bond film. 20 minutes in, yawn, time for bed. It is yeah, one of the I films, th- didn't like it as a kid. Yeah, it was because it is slower and there's not as much action. No. And then as a as an as an adult, I appreciate it much more for its, you know, trying to have a plot and <laughs> actually have a, a, a nefarious plan that makes sense and works and showing us all these great locations and stuff. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff like on international politics and uh, you know, where we don't want to offend these people, we don't want this to be obvious. Where would you place this in? In obviously, we're, we're we, we continuously screw up the last section of this, of this show. I don't even know why I bother anymore. Maybe we should change it. But where you would place? I think when we talked about this, we were trying to pick out our top three or top four, top five. Would you put this in your top three? Top three, I would put it definitely in the top five. Yeah, maybe the top three. 
Yeah. I mean, I think this is so, it is very much, it's a quintessential James Bond. To me, it was always the way the character was supposed to be a spy, not, not just a thug or an action hero. Right. He, he'll get thuggish more thuggish later. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Although then there's the blimp. Oh, no. We'll, we'll get to that uh, much, much later. Stacy, look at uh, the blimp. Oh, Lord. I wish I was kidding, but I'm, I'm we'll not. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. What other things uh, strike you about this film? Uh, what reasons would you have to recommend it? Okay. First of all, I, I as you say, it's really good at this sort of exotic world traveler thing. It, the side, the secondary characters, the supporting characters are really interesting. I like the idea that, okay, who's Spectre's second in command? Is He's not some, like, mercenary. He's not a general. He's a chess master. Mm-hmm. Like that, he's number two. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm number one. Looks like number two from where I'm sitting. <laughs> what does that mean? I'll t- tell you later. It's disgusting. It, uh, I, I like that, and I mean, okay, the heavy-handed imagery with the Siamese fighting fish is a bit much. Yeah, those are uh, commonly referred to as betta these days. You can uh, you see them in a lot of fish stores. They're the ones that are in like the glass of water. Mm. Yeah, right. Because if you put two in the same, they'll kill each other. Yeah, they will. Yeah. They actually live in puddles. Oh, wow. Weird fish no- knowledge from my <laughs> partner. I'm sure he'd be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like the fact that, uh, again, Bond is not going through women like Kleenex in this movie. Mm-hmm. I like that the the gadgets aren't the center; they're the central thing. I think it starts with the Aston Martin. When you're watching the Aston Martin, it's like, oh, I don't care who's driving it. This car is so cool. It's like that's not the way it's supposed to be. I like the fact that uh, the bad guy, Grit Grant. He has the same briefcase because he killed the other agent and took it. So it's not like, oh, I have the only magic briefcase. Right. And Bond uses that against him. It's like, no, this is just a tool. This is something any spy could have. What's What makes it important is the way you use it. I also like the fact that Grant, besides the fact that he's, well, we, I thought he was ginormous. Apparently he's on a box. Um, he's smart. Like he, he he's not. He doesn't get everything right, but he's able to go on the flow, go with the flow. Um, and they send him a message saying, look, you've got to intercept this contact of his quick. And he's close enough to overhear the counterphrase in one station. And then the next station is when he picks up the guy and takes his place. And he does a pretty good job of it. And he even explains things away. Like when Bond catches him having drugged Tatiana, he's like, so what did you put in a drink? And he said, look, dude, I was told to make an escape plan for one. And that was the original idea that, that Bond was supposed to get the lector and get out. He wasn't supposed to take the Russian agent. So it actually made sense. And you can see that Bond is actually like, oh, yeah, okay, that, I, I get it. And then he unfortunately turns away and, you know, gets smacked in the back of the head. But, yeah, that's the thing. Initially, Grant beats him. Yep. He's like, yeah, I outthought you. I've got this whole setup here. You know, I've got here these uh, hidden camera tapes of you having sex with uh, Tatiana, yep. which, uh, you know, they're going to find on your body. I'm going to make this look like a suicide. Although I do have to say he kind of blows that. When he's got Bond at his mercy and he's doing that line, you know, the first shot won't kill you, and nor the second, nor the third. It's like, how's that going to look like suicide? So uh, he shot himself three or four times from a distance? Really? Well, Bond, as you know, is a very poor shot. Okay. 
But other than that, it's like, wow, you really, you know, you thought this through, you got it all right. You follow, you followed the, the plan to perfection. I mean, that's what uh, the chess master, that's what number three or whichever he is argues at the end. He said, the plan was flawless. It was perfect. There's no way it couldn't have worked. And he tries to blame Cleb. He's like, you, you, you must've screwed it up. And Blofeld very, you know, intelligently says, no, we underestimated James Bond. Yep. It's Which because he, of him. Well, and it's also to be fair, he's still a, a new thing, a new variable at that point. Yeah. They've only dealt with him once, and he's like, well, we have to show MI5 or 6 or whatever they are at this point. We have to show them that we're not going to take this lying down. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Bond doesn't even know who Grant is. He thinks he's a Russian. Mm-hmm. And then he finds out it's like, oh, it's Spectre. And, and Grant gets that moment where he just has this little smirk. Because it's like, you've had no idea what's... In fact, Grant even says, I saved your life once at the gypsy camp. You would have died. Shot a guy who was about to stab him. Also, I like the little dig, because Bond figures out that they're, that Grant isn't quite right. He says, you know, tell me what lunatic asylum did they get you out of? Yep. And, and the look on Grant's face is like, ooh, you hit a nerve. Yeah, because they, they, got, him out of a- <laughs> they got him out of a lunatic. They said they got him out of a, a mental hospital. I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah, again, in the book, that's much more of a thing. He's actually, uh, oh, what is it? He's one of those guys that, uh, he's literally a lunatic in that, you know what the word comes from? It's Luna. It means someone who goes crazy around the full moon. Oh. Yeah. And it, you know, back then they actually thought that was a thing. How long ago did you read the book? Oh, boy. I was a kid. It must have been like 30 years. Man. Well, some memory. Out. I don't remember a lot of the rest of it, but some of it does stand out. Huh. Oh, JFK liked it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do remember that originally the girl fight in the gypsy camp, they were supposed to be fighting naked. Ah. Yep. You know, that's, I was 12 or 13. That stood out, believe me. Uh, really? Huh? Oh, boy. I can't wait to finish reading this book. Max's yeah. voice when he was an adolescent, folks. Yeah, that's, that's an uncanny representation. Isn't it? Uh, I, I kind of like the sequence in the gypsy camp. I like the fact that, you know, the, the gypsy chief who sounds so impressive when he's speaking Romani and that the only words he seems to know in English are, thank you. <laughs> he sounds like a kid. And it's, it's kind of adorable because he's obviously this very powerful figure who runs this whole clan. These guys are used as muscle. They're, they're like killers. And yet he sounds kind of goofy when he tries to speak English. I know that's very much sort of the English colonial, oh, isn't this adorable when the little ethnic people attempt to speak like civilized folks? Yeah. With him, it kind of works because there's no sense in, in, there's never any sense that he's kowtowing to Bond. He's just like, you know, you're the outsider here. Right. You know, you, you're, you're alive because I haven't decided to kill you. Yeah, I don't know enough about gypsy culture to know if this is how insulting this is. I'm sure on some level it is, like the whole women fight. I don't know that that's a thing. It sort of feels like, you know, like you just said, oh, those funny natives. Oh, they're little customers. Because the gypsies have been given, or excuse me, the Romani, you're not supposed to call them gypsies. Hmm. uh, They have a very bad reputation, and it's very unclear how much of it's deserved. A lot of it is just prejudice and very, very old prejudice. Right. I just just don't know. This is how they're presented to the world in a very popular film. So a lot of people probably take it as more or less correct. So um, yeah, the gypsy camp's not one of my favorite parts because I, it it doesn't feed directly 
into the plot. It's at that point where things are a little confused and it looks like the Russians and the British are going at each other, um, which is of course what, what Spectre wants. And of course, nobody at that point knows except for Grant and Spectre. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, then there's a nice big fight. I, I actually think that the gypsy camp is there specifically because we need some action. Yeah, probably. And it's, again, it's another, here's another exotic thing. Yeah. Here's another unusual culture that, I have no idea if it's any kind of an accurate representation of mid-20th century gypsy culture. I'm guessing no. Yeah. It's also different in different countries. Maybe that's the way it is in Turkey. That's I don't know. Then we get that iconic scene, which is, um, I think it's supposed to be kind of erotic and, and disturbing at the same time when they recognize one of the um, snipers at the gypsy camp and they go to get him and it's like, oh, you know, this is a guy that Bay knows and he shot Bay in the arm and he's like, um, we, I, you know, we have to take care of at least that guy. And the guy lives in an apartment building with a permanently painted movie poster on the side and his escape route is through the mouth of, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It wasn't Doris Day, was it? No, but I thought it was, it wasn't even Britt Eklund. I can't remember. But this It was a Bob Hope movie. Yeah, she has a lovely mouth, that someone. Yeah, and then the lights go out. They 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 send two of his sons off to knock on the door. The lights go out. The secret trap door opens in the mouth of this woman, and he comes out, and then he gets shot. But it's just, yep. it's very. I, I, that scene I remember very well from a child. I remember. I I never remember the name of the movie, but I remember that that big painted billboard on the side of the apartment building. Yeah, there's there's also some parts that I I am not as happy with the boat chase scene feels a little, I don't know, kind of hokey. I It felt tacked on to me. Yeah. We've had this great tense scene on the train and the, ep- the concluding epic fight, which that was the other thing I liked. That final fight, there, that always happens in the Bond movies. It's usually the final battle, either with the bad guy or with the main henchman. And usually the set blows up. Yeah, there's a lot of it. And this is so, it's done in a train compartment and you feel, it's so claustrophobic. Yeah. And you Feel the desperation because both of these guys, Grant and Bond, are really good fighters and they're really tough. And you honestly, that's one of the few ones in these Bond movies where I'm going, I'm not sure who's, the first time I saw it, I'm not sure who's going to win. Yeah. Later on when he does the same thing with Jaws, well, it's like, well, okay. Yeah, it's well. Yeah, because they'll do the same thing. It's exactly the same fight except dumb. (laughs) Of course, everything with Jaws was dumb. Yes, Jaws was one of when they decided to have the like superhuman henchman like yeah. jaws who can pretty much bounce bullets off his teeth i think he literally does somehow yes. somebody shoots him and decides to shoot him in the mouth right because because hey well, i see some metal i'll shoot at that you know not his leg not no, his arm not, not his head i mean he's a huge target anyway we'll, then we'll get to him in moonraker i think yeah oh, oh if we cover it yeah, we don't yeah. know yet well, well they don't oops, know we know spoiler alert <laughs> Uh, I'm actually going to shoot a little forward before we get to the ending of this episode. Uh, there's been some news, and I wanted to get your reaction to it. So these films uh, haven't been really, what's the word, relevant <laughs> mm-hmm. in a long time because they really do represent the white male fantasy, the white guys in charge, the women all love him and will do anything for him, switch sides, etc. And there was an announcement recently that uh, well, it's been known for a while that Daniel Craig is like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know why he doesn't want to do it, but he doesn't want to do it. Apparently, all the money isn't good enough I and think, good for him. I think he hates money. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh huh. Uh, he also could just he just want doesn't want to be uh, typecast or whatever. And of course, everyone wonders who's going to be the next Bond. Well, there was an announcement made recently. I don't know if you heard this or not. How recent? Uh, this was in the last six months. Oh, okay. Where they said, yeah, we're going to recast 007. And it was like, oh, okay, who is it this time? It's a black woman. Now, how initially, I now, heard wait, 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 okay. let me finish. Yeah. So everyone is, of course, getting their panties in a, in a wad because they're going, you can't make Bond a woman. And it's like, no, 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 we're not making Bond a woman. Bond is going to himself retire. The number is going to be recast. So that now we have an opportunity to have a same sort of cool character, but it could be played by literally anybody. And they can, yeah. And they could do the same kind of cool spy things, hopefully a little better, yeah. uh, but it could, it could be anybody and they, it, it still can be the franchise if it works out, but it doesn't have to be a white guy. Well, this so is what, bring up an, an interesting idea though. Does bond, would that work? Can I mean they've had we've had plenty of movies about female spies, mm-hmm. but these are James Bond or a 007 or what have you movies. Could you have the same kind of character as a woman, and could you keep calling them Bond movies? Well, what did you think when you heard that? Like, what was your reaction? I thought that's kind of interesting, but they're ending James Bond. Okay, I said okay, this would be cool. You do a franchise about it, if you can make an interesting female spy character. It's just not going to be James Bond and it's not going to be anything like James Bond. I see. I don't know that that's true. I think that it can, because it's involving um, MI what, seven, eight, what are we up to now? Do, do they just keep losing the other ones? I don't even know. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a really cool way of doing quote James Bond end quote and allowing it to represent somebody other than white guys. So I'm intrigued. I'd like to see how they do it. I think that could be really interesting. I think it. Uh, they don't always know how to do it properly. Well, there is that. <laughs> and to be fair, they're, um, the, the evidence of them trying to be inclusive <laughs> and more awakened is um, not yeah, working. Yeah, their, and, and their track history isn't very good. And they try these things with like Red Sparrow and Atomic Blonde. And I was like, oh, these are okay, but I don't want to see any more. Yeah. Well, I think it's also a case. Well, and there's other things that try to do Bond, like the Kingsman, I think, is definitely trying to do a Bond-like thing. Kind of, although that's way more comic booky. Yes, it is. But it's still, it it's feeding off the, the Bond yeah, franchise oh, a lot. Same whole gentleman spy thing. Right. And it's British. So I, I'm interested. Um, I And I'm sure there's plenty of people. I don't go on Reddit. I don't go on message boards. I'm sure there were tons of, of outraged fist-shaking white fanboys who are like, no, you can't. Yeah. There's a lot of butt-hurt trolls going, yeah, because in books, he's always a white guy. Like, okay, sure. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I would actually, the two things I would like to see is this. I would like to see somebody not white guy doing a Bond-like film, and I'd like to see them tone back on the gadgets because the gadgets, as we will see in later films, not only border on ridiculous, they kind of invade and take over the land of ridiculous. But let me ask you this. I mean, this brings up a question, and I don't think we're going to get through it in this episode, but it's going to pervade, I think, the series. What is it about Bond? What is it about the character or these movies that made them last almost 60 years? I, I mean, that's a lot the of- is can they continue that? But the real question is, 
what are they trying to continue? What is it that's lasted so long? It's obviously not the actor because there's been like 90 of them. <laughs> and, well, uh, I, hmm? I think one of the traditions uh, that, that they're definitely aiming for that will continue is um, money. Yeah, they made money. That's so that doesn't mean anything. I'm saying like the character. What what is it about Bond? Because not all of them made money. Well, but that was they weren't trying not to make money. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's to be fair for if I'm gonna be very cynical about this, the whole idea of continuing this and even the pressure to make the character more inclusive has stems a lot from making money. Well, they so- realize that they can't do the white guy thing forever, thank God, finally. So they're going to try something new. Now, if it fails, if it spectacularly fails, they're going to blame it on the fact that it's a black woman character, not because of anything else, because that's how Hollywood learned lessons. And we'll go right back to the white guy, which sucks. Probably. But that's not what I'm asking. Okay, you're saying they did it to make money. Okay, that implies people, a lot of people went to see the movies. Why did they go see the movies? I want to say that a lot of cases, they're exciting. A lot of times in back in the 60s and 70s, when travel was still something people couldn't afford, it was almost a little travelogue. You got to see places you'd probably never go to. They did that in other movies. What was it about this? There was that sort of that fantasy, that wish fulfillment. I wish I was as cool as James Bond, who knows the answer to everything. Um, I think one of the most annoying ones is where he uh, he's drinking sherry and he names a year and M says, sherry doesn't have a year. And he says, oh, I was referring to the wine on which the sherry was originally based. And you wanted to slap him. <laughs> so it is. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the fantasy. It's the ir- the man who is irresistible. He is physically imposing. He can beat just about anyone. He always wins. There's other stuff, too. I mean, there's the emotional distance, the fact that. You never see the same female character. I think that's except for Money Penny. I don't do any of the women make it through more than one movie. Just Sylvia. I th- well, I think, and she's Vesper, throwaway, quite honestly. And Daniel Craig doesn't. <laughs> right. uh, Vesper lives through the first movie, but dies at the beginning of the second one that she's yeah, in. Yeah, something like that. She was meant to be. Well, he gets married in the Lazenby film. He gets yes, married. She dies at the end. Right. <laughs> Which, to be fair. They do use a little bit. I think the next film after that was You Only Live Twice. And they do mention the fact that he was married. And I think there's a bit of of vengeance on Bond's part, which is they they sort of use vaguely. But I think a lot of it is wish fulfillment. You know, it's like superhero films. I wish I could do that. And I think Bond, that's a lot of what Bond is. It's wish fulfillment. I wish I was that cool. I wish I could go and visit all these places whenever I wanted to. I wish I could always be the good guy that comes and triumphs over evil and blah, 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 blah. I think that's that, part yeah, of it. I think that's true. And it's all, it's unlike a superhero film. This is kind of, you know, attainable. It's not that Bond has superpowers. He's not, there's nothing magical about him. He's not the chosen one. He's not a mutant. He's just a, he's a very smart guy who has got a lot of training and an enormously powerful support system behind him. It's (laughs) it's much easier to say, hey, that could happen. I mean, how many movies have there been about common schlubs or idiots falling into situations where they have to basically be James Bond? Right. Yeah, so it's I, almost like the prototype of all that stuff. Yeah, it, this is the fantasy. This is the the archetype of what, uh, and that's the thing in the '60s, especially Bond is sort of what men are supposed to be: right. strong, silent, never showing any emotion, never getting attached. Oh, and white. <laughs> oh, and white, and good looking. Yeah. 
But uh, let's uh, let's wrap this first episode up of the Get 'Em Jimmy. The Roundup. Obviously, we like this film. Yep. I would say that if you're looking to start some of the Sean Connery films, this is a great place to start. I don't think you need to watch Dr. No. It's actually one of the strengths of the franchises, quite honestly, is that they're sort of in order and they're sort of not. You could really pick any Bond film and watch it on its own and you wouldn't have to watch the other 22. Yeah, in a very in a couple of rare cases, you'll see a character. I mean, Blofeld, sure, but it doesn't matter because it's always a different guy. Yeah. But uh, you almost never see, aha, you see, I survived our last encounter, Mr. Bond. Yeah. Like, no, Mr. Bond, no, you didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's, you know, Dr. No, um, it has some faults, but it's a pretty good, solid introduction to the character. Yeah, this I is a better movie. I think so, too. It's more polished. Um, it's a little bit more exotic because he goes down to the Keys, which is fine. Um, and, and was it Jamaica? No, he's down. In the, I think he's just down in the Keys. Um, but it's 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 beach. It could be anywhere here. We're in Istanbul, which looks great in this. It makes it, it makes you want to go there and see what this place is like. Um, there's some intelligence behind the plot and the plans, which is nice. Um, you get to see ba- James Bond actually screw up, but it's okay. Yeah. He's been outthought. It's not like he made some terrible mistake. It's like, nope, you just did what you were supposed to do. Yeah. But, uh, so this is one of the four in our series that we're recommending. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, the, the pacing's a little slow for modern audiences. Not as much blows up. There's not as much fighting. But uh, it's a good thriller. It's a good spy movie in the in the actual essence of spying, except, you know, everyone knows who he is. <laughs> yeah. But next week. Mm-hmm. Next week we're going to be talking about one of the um, less good ones. Oh, goody, goody, goody. Which one are we talking about next week, Uncle we're Max? Talking about, we're jumping ahead quite a bit. We're going, we're skipping uh, technically two Bonds, if you count Lazenby, and we're going into the third, who, which was Pierce Brosnan. And we're going to see his opus, Die Another Day. He's the fourth. Fourth Bond. Yes, because Timothy Dalton came before he did. Oh, 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 that's right. I always get the chronology wrong. Okay. Yeah, they did. Tim- Timothy Dalton got three, and then they're like, yeah, we're done with this. Yeah. Oh, then, so he's, Di- then he's the fifth Bond, because you had Connery, Lazenby, Moore, and uh, Dalton. Yeah, because I, for some reason, Connery was like, I'm not doing this role anymore. I got to go do other films. Oh, okay, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and they got George Lazenby. Poor the sad thing about that film, yeah, I, he's adequate. He's okay. He's just, he's so... I swear, it's all through it. He looks like a, a dotted cutout saying, insert spy here. <laughs> I think if I remember him looking around going, okay, and what do I do now? <laughs> and <laughs> and who, that, who is this blonde fellow? Yeah, I'm not blonde. Uh, the sad thing is they waste Diana Rigg. Uh, yes, that is a real, that is, she's the best thing in the movie. And she, it's like, oh, couldn't you have used her in another movie? Because, Okay. <laughs> I guess you can't. But yeah, so uh, Dalton and then then uh, Pierce Brosnan. So die another day, huh? Die another day. Hold on, hold on to your exploding hats. This is going to be a hot one. Uh, Max, I can't find my car. <laughs> <laughs> Where is my car? Oh no, it's <laughs> invisible. Yes, my car. That's right. In this film, invisible. So yeah, so car. Hop, hop into your invisible cars and join us next week. Vroom vroom, won't you? 
This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.